you should be able to start a business and grow a business wherever you are. If you want to come to London or another city in the UK, great. You shouldn't feel you have to come to London or another city to be able to do that. You should be able to do that wherever. When social media was starting to proliferate, the world didn't really do a lot at that time. And so we're trying to put the genie back in the bottle, which is always difficult to do. We're not in a place that we're going to get into a subsidy race. What we're doing is we are leveraging what the UK does really, really well in semiconductors to make sure that we can have a safe and secure and robust resilience of supply chains. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. Hello and welcome to the UKTN podcast, a weekly chat with the founders of some of the UK's high growth tech companies and other key stakeholders. In this series, we'll be exploring what entrepreneurship looks like in the UK right now, as well as getting tips from some of our most innovative business leaders and discussing the hot topics in the tech world. And I'm joined today by Paul Scully, the Minister for London and the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for Tech and the Digital Economy. Big welcome to you, Paul. Hi there. Good to be here. Now, first of all, why don't you sort of set out what you see as your priorities as the Minister for Tech, which is obviously a huge area in the UK now, and so many businesses have tech at their heart. It's it's a it's a difficult thing to prioritise, I should imagine. It is. It is. I suppose let me just quickly go through some of the responsibilities and then we maybe put them into some sort of order because I think it's um, semiconductors, making sure that we've got a resilient and safe supply chain for semiconductors, which is going to be a trillion dollar business by 2030. I'm doing the online safety bill to make sure that we're safe when we're online, especially children, doing digital markets bill to make sure that smaller businesses challenger businesses can compete fairly uh, with bigger businesses and give consumers a great deal. And of course, about digital skills to make sure that as more and more businesses, not just core tech businesses, but every business that has a tech element to it, which is pretty well every business these days, have the employees with the skills that they need. So all of that flows into the mix to make sure that we can promote the UK to be a science and technology superpower by 2030. So it's a really exciting time to be doing the job rather than having spent two and a half years of reacting to COVID, it's great to actually be looking to the future, setting the foundations for UK as an amazing tech place to do business. And let's unpack, unpack some of those things that you mentioned. And we'll start with the Digital Markets Bill, which is obviously the UK's version of what Europe's been trying to do for a long time, which is kind of regulate big tech, make sure that they don't dominate. How is what you're trying to do different from, from what Europe's trying to do? Well, I think it's it's one of the uh, sort of Brexit benefits to be able to do something slightly differently from the, from the EU. The EU has a bit more of a prescriptive approach, as they have in a number of, a- of areas that we're seeking to legislate at the moment. And so what we're having is a bespoke approach. We've set up the digital markets unit within the CMA to be able to look at the services that businesses provide. If there's a, want, a company that's particularly dominant 
in a particular service, then we can just analyze and work on that service rather than, rather than the business as a whole, which is what tends to happen with digital markets. So it might be in terms of searches, it might be in a marketplace, these, these kind of areas where there's a sense of entrenched power. So it's that bespoke approach that I think really does set us apart from the EU, which keeps it flexible, keeps it up to date as well with uh, with ever-changing world of tech. And how are you going to avoid what's happened in Europe, despite its many bits of re- regulation and attempts to sort of clamp down on the power of big tech? It's seen delay after delay after delay in terms of getting through and fines actually being paid. How can you avoid that pitfall? Well, look, I think, first of all, the nature of this is to be flexible, is to be agile, is to make sure that the appeals process is fair, proportionate, participative, but actually doesn't get stuck in rounds and rounds of litigation as this sort of traditional competition regime can. And so it's that, that approach by having, allowing the, uh, the digital markets unit to be able to work with those businesses that are at risk of harm to try and avoid it in the first place, frankly, but very much to have a, um, a, a streamlined but fair appeals process. So as I say, we can, we can tackle the harm when it's just happened rather than months and years later, which in the tech world is just like a lifetime. They mentioned harm and obviously the online harms bill, which has now become the online safety bill, has been a monster piece of legislation, many, many sort of years in the making. Very ambitious. I know that I've written about it many times and every time I write about it, it seems that it's got something new in it. Has it become a bit unwieldy? Is it trying to be too much to too many people? Uh, Are you personally happy with the content of it? Yeah, because it's it's something we've just got to do. We should, is this something that we should have done really 15 years ago, uh, you know, when social media, I mean, this isn't just about social media, but but that's going to be a lot of it. Um, when social media was starting to proliferate, the world didn't really do a lot at that time. And so we're trying to put the genie back in the bottle, which is always difficult to do. But I think what we've actually done now is stripped it back to a far more focused bill, essentially around child protection. So by getting rid of the so-called legal but harmful stuff last, uh, last summer, we've largely stepped away from this more existential sort of um, debate about freedom of speech. We can really focus on what's important, making sure that children don't get free access to pornography, that making sure that the, the most harmful areas of abuse are, are, are tackled. So if it's illegal, it goes. If it's um, against the terms and conditions of the company themselves, it goes. And having that user empowerment for adults such that they can, you know, switch off, should I say, areas of conversation that they just don't want to be seeing. That's that final sort of protection. So we tried to streamline it, but clearly everybody wants a little bit more. And what I'm warning people about, let's have the debate discussion as we finish in the Lords today and we're going on to the uh, Commons shortly that we just don't want to make perfection the enemy of good. We've got to get something on the statute books so that we can start to protect children because this won't come into effect tomorrow. We've got to operationalise it. Well, one of the big problems, though, isn't it, with regulation is that tech is always ahead of the game. The BBC published a story just this week about how we're seeing images of child abuse now be deep faked by AI. Does the bill as it exists currently take account of that new way of, uh, of uh, producing these awful images? 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's AI pornography will be caught up with the uh, with the definition of pornography as it as is caught it as is uh, described in the bill in terms of AI deepfakes used for scams and those kind of things. Again, that's 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 tackled in the bill. But you, you're right that we have to be really careful that this stays within date, and that's why so much of the bill it's looking at outcomes and it's not trying to be too tech specific. And that was the a lot of the debate that we've had around age verification, age assurance, and these kind of things as well. Because if you get too much in the weeds of prescribing exactly how you do something, you're absolutely right. The bill will be out of date by the time it gets royal assent. So it has to, again, be flexible. And the other issue that people have with this piece of legislation is whether Ofcom is going to be able to cope as the regulator in charge of enacting it. It's got an awful lot on its plate already, and suddenly it's going to have a huge lot more thrown at it. Uh, Are you confident that it can deal with all the issues that this legislation will bring forward? Yeah, I am. But we've obviously got to keep uh, that in in, in view and make sure that uh, Ofcom uh, continues to have the right resource, the right people, the right expertise in there. But of course, we're continually talking to Ofcom about this and we'll do at an even greater pace when it comes to operationalizing the bill once it's gone through Parliament. But we've got to make sure as well, Ofcom within the face of the bill has the ability to speak to experts, to call in expertise as is required. And of course, again, it's a participative approach with the companies themselves to be able to to, to, to lean in and make sure they're having informed conversations rather than feeling they've got a crowd in the expertise on a full-time basis. A quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. Now, I mentioned AI just now, and of course, it is the conversation on everybody's lips at the moment. So we have to talk a little bit about that. I know that you've spoken personally about the need for us not to overblow the risks of AI, but actually... This idea, uh, and, and it's many years hence, we should say, but the idea that AI might eventually wipe out humanity is not just, you know, pie in the sky, is it? This is something that some of our biggest brains, Elon Musk, Stephen Hawking, have expressed fears about. So, so why are you so optimistic that we don't need to worry about that? I'm not saying we shouldn't worry about it. You know, it's something we've absolutely got to have in mind, but it shouldn't be the only thing we're talking about. And, um, you know, the worrying thing is that uh, it's something that's obviously of interest to the wider media and and social media, especially those that aren't involved in the day-to-day, because, you know, who doesn't love the story about uh, killer robots or these kind of things? I think I spoke recently about the dystopia of Terminator-style robots, but also looking at the opportunity and, of course, what was the um, the the uh, media covered the story about looking for the opportunities, but they illustrated it with a Terminator robot, and so it's all, which is the 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 eyeline grabbing thing of the story. So we've just got to have both in mind. Let's look at the opportunities, what it can do for medicine and diagnoses, what it can do for uh, climate change, what it can do for business productivity as well. 
But this is why our international response, in particular, and the AI summit that we've got coming up, when we try to work on international guide rails, is going to be so, so important to tackle the risks that are absolutely there and we need to face down. And let's talk just a bit about those guardrails, because uh, the UK has got an AI strategy, which is great. And a white paper that was published in March sets out some principles. I mean, just one of those principles is about transparency. But how on earth are we going to ensure transparency when even the big tech companies that are rolling these systems out don't let us know exactly how they work. It's very black boxed. And in fact, even the scientists who are designing these systems don't know entirely how they work. So what does transparency look like, do you think, from a government point of view? Well, I think this is one of the areas that Ian Hogarth is going to be working on in the Foundation of Modern Task Forces, understanding those risks and being a, as well as the opportunities in, in, in areas like transparency, because you've got to have, uh, you know, the AI white paper is just that foundation, if you like, setting the our stall out to then build on with that international response with Ian Hogarth's um, task force to make sure that, as he described it, he can put out the back, bat signal and attracting the very best minds. Because when you talk about transparency, you're right. If you're looking at um, how algorithms and other things are coded and written, because they can be by sort of hundreds of people over different continents writing different lines of code and these kind of things. So it, it is going to be complicated, but that's why I think we as the UK are in a good place to lead on this because we've got the Ada Lovelace Institute, we've got the Alan Turing Institute. We've been talking and have and thinking about with, in academia as well as business about AI for decades now. So that thinking about how we can really drill down to make it truly transparent can emerge over the next few weeks and months. You mentioned the AI task force there. Is that a group that you've actually sat down and met yet or would that not come within your... Well, I haven't met them, but to be fair, AI doesn't primarily come under my... So if I count Camrose as the AI minister, but clearly I have to have a bit of a handle on it because I cover when things are raised in the House of Commons that that'll be me but that's that's my colleague Viscount Comrose who's the AI expert and also Labour's got some thoughts on AI as a, as has everybody a couple of the things that they've said in recent weeks is that first of all the regulators will need more resources to deal with this and also that the focus should be on jobs reskilling and retraining those people who are inevitably going to have their jobs affected do you agree that reskilling and retraining is the focus and and what are your thoughts on on the resources that we're pumping into it currently well, look, first of all, with the regulators that you talked about, yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we've already talked about, you know, we're using existing regulators. That's the, the, again, that's the baseline as we build up and understanding the risks and see what the regulators actually need. And we've talked about uh, if we need to legislate, we'll do that when parliamentary time allows for greater regulation. But in terms of reskilling and retraining, yeah, this is very much, I started off talking about one of my responsibilities is um, digital skills and AI skills are absolutely at the core of that. We have the Digital Skills Council that I co-chair, or Phil Smith, the, the, uh, the chairman of the IQE, and where we're co-creating solutions. It's not government saying, you know, you've got to go out and do this. It's, it's government and industry trying to better understand what the problem is than then going getting the industry and government when it needs to convene to actually go out and source those skills. One of the, the, the best things we've done over the last few months is the AI conversion course where we, we're getting people in to do conversion courses at universities that haven't got a STEM background, haven't got a computer science background. What that does, that not only helps retrain, reskill, but it also helps with the diversity of thinking. So you actually probably end up with a better product or service 
in AI if you're bringing people in from different backgrounds rather than just the sort of tunnel of a, of a brilliant coder with a computer science background. So but it's that, wi- it, it, but it, that wider reskilling is going to be really, really important over the next few years. And just on that issue of skills, obviously the tech industry has long since had a problem with gender. Are you looking at that specifically too? Yeah, absolutely. I think again, it's that uh, you know the um, things like the AI conversion course, things like the apprenticeships uh, that we've been looking at with the, with with the sector. I think it is that holy grail right the way through from how do you attract more girls into STEM in the first place. How do you get people, uh, more girls into, uh, in, into computer science at a young age? And then how you get more female entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs, which I'm, I'm really keen because when I was Minister for Small Business, I was doing a very similar thing on female entrepreneurs in general. I was working with Alison Rose, the Chief Executive of NetWest in, on the Rose Review in that wider subject. And so it's an interest that I very much bring to this role about how to get more tech entrepreneurs that are female as well. Now, one of the things that we've seen recently is the demise of Tech Nation. That's going to be the role that Tech Nation had is going to be taken over by Barclays. This took a lot of people in the tech industry by surprise. Can you sort of talk me through the thinking behind that and what you expect to see come out of Barclays' new handle on this area? Yeah, I think what we did just before I came into the role, we did um, uh, an open competition for the Digital Growth Grant which Barclays Eagle Labs uh, won that on a, you know, on a fair and open competition. So it's delivering specialist support programs for tech businesses across uh, the UK. Um, and uh, it's £12 million grant that's awarded to them. It's building on more than £42.2 million invested by the government to support tech startups and scale-ups since well, back in 2016. But what it does over the next couple of years, it's it's delivering growth programs, it's delivering mentoring sessions and other insights and learning materials. But specifically where they won and they're going to do a great job, I'm sure, is that they're able to support 22,000 businesses over the next couple of years with at least 80% of them based outside London. So it's really important that we get right the way around the country to be able to enable tech startups and scale-ups. This is Part of the levelling up agenda, you should be able to start a business and grow a business wherever you are. If you want to come to London or another city in the UK, great. You shouldn't feel you have to come to London or another city to be able to do that. You should be able to do that wherever. Barclays and Eagle Labs, they are sort of independent of each other. So it's not Barclays Bank, as I say, doing it per se. It's Eagle Labs under that Barclays uh, umbrella, if you like. But Tech Nations, obviously, it was sad to see them go, but they've obviously been taken over now, now by Founders Forum. So you know, that, that core work that they're doing at the moment, especially they're, they're continuing to do the global talent visas at the moment, which is a really core area uh, to, to get the very brightest and best into, uh, into tech in the UK. That's continuing until we can find another assessing body. Although Founders Forum does also host London Tech Week, the emphasis on the London, or although the uh, CEO would say, you know, that it's open to a lot more businesses than just those in London. But do you think we need to have something a bit more nationwide in terms of gatherings for entrepreneurs and tech startups? Yeah, so uh, it's really important that we do do exactly that. I think, uh, you know, the organisers of London Tech Week have and will insist that, uh, you know, yes, it's got London in the title, but it's a UK Tech Week, um, but it's just been branded that way for, for a good while now. And they are trying to attract people right the way across the country. But uh, when I was there, it was a really great vibe from people. I met lots of people from Australia and uh, Japan and uh, Malaysia and other countries that are looking to headquarter over here. 
But then the following week, I was at Tech Next up in Newcastle, their version of a smaller London Tech Week. And it was looking at businesses up there with a different quality of life, a different pace of life, but lots of opportunities. And then this afternoon, I was speaking to Caroline Ansell, the Eastbourne MP, and she was telling me about, about Digifest that's going on in Eastbourne. So again, each area, you know, is, are doing small things, but it's important that we as government help to convene and help to publicise uh, these kind of things, because that's 10,000 jobs they're looking at just in and around Eastbourne, which is pretty good going for something that's comparatively localised. But you're right, we do m very much need to celebrate and encourage more and more of these around, around the whole of the UK. And, and also announced recently were these investment zones that the government is opening around universities. What's the sort of hope that's going to be achieved by those? Well, I think look, it's based on um, some of the work that, that they've been doing in DLUP, the, the local government department now, f over the last year. It's been carefully designed to make sure that we can grow the economy, targeting certain places and, and matching them up with certain technologies and the priority techs and, and really supporting levelling up. So what we find is that where you get really successful tech businesses, they're often around clusters. And so the more you can encourage clusters, whether you've got semiconductors in South Wales, whether you've got um, automotive aerospace in, in, in the Midlands, around the Midlands Technology Centre, those kind of things, that it's a it's a good thing to build upon offering incentives offering grant offers which allows us to target the investment better to make sure that we can build up those clusters and help unlock productivity in in those areas there's going to be 600 hectares of tax sites in each in each investment zone and the uh, and the uh, chancellor announced the latest one in south yorkshire just recently focusing on advanced manufacturing. So I think there's a good news story there that we, should, we need to be um, keep coming back to and um, watching the success and the increased productivity in those areas. You mentioned semiconductors there, and actually we've had on this podcast paragraph Simon Thomas, who has been a bit of a critic of the government's semiconductor strategy. He actually described it as frankly flaccid. I'm guessing you don't agree with him, but uh, do you see his point? No, I mean, I think you're, you're, you're right. I don't agree with him, clearly. But look, no, I appreciate the fact that there's a lot of companies that are wanting us to match the CHIPS Act and the European version of that and these kind of things. It, it's just we, we're not in a place that we're going to get into a subsidy race. What we're doing is we are leveraging what the UK does really, really well um, in semiconductors to make sure that we can have a safe and secure and robust resilience of supply chains. So what do we do well? We design chips really well. We have advanced packaging really well. We do compound semiconductors uh, really, really well. And so if we can build those, build the skills, build the infrastructure around that, then that puts us in a good spot to leverage support from other countries. So many, whether I'm speaking to people in the States or people in Japan when I was in the G7 just recently, we all agree that no one country can sort out that semiconductor resilience. We've got to work together to a part. So how can we play our part in that? And, you know, we're just not going to be another Taiwan. There's no point trying to chase that. But we are particularly good, as I say, at compounds and uh, advanced packaging and design. Let's double down on that and see where we go. Do you think that it's inevitable that technology becomes entwined in geopolitics in the way that it has? Because it feels in the last few years that it's stepped away from being a very neutral platform to being very much a part of the political agenda. 
Yeah, it, it is. I mean, clearly, you know, I think there's a lot of factors there. The semiconductor shortage a couple of years ago showed us the fragility of, uh, uh, of, of the supply chain and our dependence on it. Uh, you know, the fact that it was affecting our um, automotive industry because, um, you know, you've got a 50 grand car and you can't get out of the factory because of a tiny little 50 cent chip obviously shows that we need to really crack on and build up that resilience. But then if you look at the geopolitics of semiconductor strategies, you look at, as I say, the fact that it's going to be even more dependent on semiconductors when you look at what's coming down the line with uh, semi-autonomous vehicle, uh, autonomous driving vehicles and these kind of things, which are going to require thousands of semiconductors in them rather than the tens that are in your um, phone and the low digits in, in, your, in your computers we're going to become ever more dependent on semiconductors so we've got to get it right now one of the things missing from the list of things that you have responsibility for is green tech but never have we needed sustainable tech more we're, we're looking now at, a, at the heat waves that are sort of raging across europe do you think the government needs to do more specifically to promote green tech because i see so many companies that are offering cool solutions and yet it doesn't seem to be a part of a sort of overarching strategy as yet yeah i suppose it doesn't look it doesn't sit within dcep but we're already a, a world leader in a lot of the latest green technologies from development of hydrogen as an alternative fuel to the manufacture of electric vehicles and you've seen the um obviously the announcement about the um, JLR battery factory in Coventry, which is uh, good news. So when I was in the business department, uh, it was at the time we came up with a hydrogen strategy. And a lot of those strategies, what they are there to do is to give businesses uh, confidence that we are into something like hydrogen development uh, for the next 20, 30 years. So it can attract that, that kind of investment. And now Energy Secretary announced 65 million quid to help development of new green technologies backed by the talent and expertise of British businesses. He did that last year. So we, we, we continue to talk about climate change. We continue to invest in green tech, including COP27, when the uh, Prime Minister announced 65.5 million quid to expand the UK's clean energy innovation facility. So these are all good, important cogs in developing and, and sustaining our green tech area but it's i suppose it, the, uh, the question that i'm guessing is because it doesn't sit in decent but it's clearly at the heart of government thinking oh well that's been a really interesting discussion but sadly that's all we have time for on this week's edition of the uktn podcast thanks to my guest paul scully for a great discussion and thanks to everyone who is listening and actually also thanks to all the guests who have helped make this series so interesting because that's the final episode for now. I hope you will agree it's been a fascinating journey around some very different technologies. I've learned what a dark kitchen is, understood a little more about quantum computing, and even considered the option of making my own digital twin. And remember, you can keep up to date with all the latest UK tech developments at www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and Twitter, where you can also get in touch with me at Jane Wakefield with your comments and suggestions about the show. And on that, we'll be back after a short break. But until then, goodbye from me. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. 
Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact.